0: of the Scout Team Podcast. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Be sure to follow our football game plan scouting Twitter handle at FBGPScouting. Don't forget to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash football game plan. We're going to find all of our NFL draft videos and and things of that nature, pro day content, team videos, all that stuff like that we'd love to put out through our YouTube channel. And always bookmark the, the webpage footballgameplan.com. Follow me on Facebook and on Instagram under football game plan. And if you missed this show and you want to hear other shows that we have, other podcasts, subscribe to us on iTunes under Football Game Plan Podcast. You can also find all of this on the website at footballgameplan slash podcast. I think I covered all of our social medias and things of that nature, man. So Excited to talk to you guys for episode 14, where we're going to talk about why it's easy to build through the draft. I think a lot of people really look at this thing like it's calculus. and Some people are great at calculus. I wasn't great at calculus, but I know I can pick a team and pick it well, and we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to also dive into some uh, some news notes and tidbits uh, coming down the pike as well. But right now, if you guys are have been following me on Twitter or subscribe to our youtube channel and also check out our website every day you've noticed that we've released our prospect rankings videos quarterbacks running backs receivers we love to break those down into x z slot inside receivers our tight end videos are up there as well inline h-back and also uh flex tight ends and uh we just we're now on the offensive line so we're trying to roll those out. We just rolled out the center prospect rankings video. Be sure to check that out. i excited to bring you guys all this content because, again, I spent the entire month of February watching and grading 532 prospects for this NFL draft class. And that's in addition to going to pro days, um, also guys that I've seen live, which is very important if you're able to – if you're trying to do this – Um, and you have the capability to get out to a game on a Saturday, no excuses, get to a game. There's colleges in your area. Give yourself a driving radius, give yourself a flight radius, and get to a doggone college football game if you really want to be about the scouting life. So some people try to fake the funk, uh, but I'm not going to make that about these people. I'm not going to make this podcast about those people. But I will say a bit of advice, get to a game. Watch a game live especially if a game within your area features a prospect that you may or may not be familiar with or you're looking to see uh, a lot of things from, you know, if it's a big-time prospect. Uh, for me, I'm lucky to be in this area because, have, what, north of me is – five hours north of me is, is Montreal, so I get Canadian stuff. Um, five hours south is Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, in between, you got D.C., Boston, Philly – New York City, obviously. So we got a wealth of people, wealth of colleges in this area. I also do color commentary every Saturday. So I'm seeing a lot of these prospects. So a lot of the prospects that I've graded, I've seen before already, I've um, seen them live. But, again, that entire month of February was in the film room, and people thought I was joking when I said I watched three games on a prospect. I absolutely did, uh, which is why I didn't tweet a lot during the month of February. So um, it does take a while to to watch film and, and really get a good feel for these prospects. And also do a good job of trying to give you guys well-rounded, informed information, put it that way. So, um, and I just got a, a you know email from different outlets that I have to make sure to check out some of these guys as well. Um, today we just found out that Matt Davis of SMU uh, won't be able to be granted that that six-year of eligibility, um, so he's going to be in the NFL draft. I seen him live 2014 against UConn, but um, that game, I remember that game vividly. It was rainy. It was terrible field conditions. It was just a bad game by both teams, on you know, so they really didn't get anything going. Uh, so I have to really look at the film on him. And he only played one game this season, so I will have to look at 2015 film. Uh, he was hurt in the first game, the opener against North Texas but he played a full season 2015 he Played, He started 10 games in 2014. So I'll be able to check out those games as well. So to I'll watch that I also was told to watch Taysom Hill. And to be honest, I thought Taysom Hill was going to retire after all the injuries, but I was told that he's not going to retire. He's actually going to put together his own pro day. And, so I have to hit the film again and add him to my list. And it's funny because this list is filled with all quarterbacks. Austin Apodaca from New Mexico got to check him out as well. Was told to keep an eye on him and and grade him. Put out the quarterback video. Comment in the comment section came through and was like, "Hey, I noticed your your video. You graded 50 quarterbacks, but where's Kyle Slaughter?" Now you get these you get these type of inquiries. All the time, people will say, hey, you forgot about this guy. What about this guy? Like, damn, I just put a 100 dudes in this video, and you ask them about the one dude that's not in the video. But going back in and briefly looking at some highlights, I was like, okay, he's worthy of me going back and checking out. So I'll do a full extensive film evaluation on Kyle Slaughter of Northern Colorado. We're going to be talking about Northern Colorado a lot. They have two outstanding return men. Uh, next year that's going to be in the draft. Ellis Onik is one tremendous punt returner. The other guy that's a kick returner, his name slips my mind, but I know Northern Colorado uh, has been improving, and their special teams is is leading the way, but their quarterback, Kyle Slaughter, is one I'm going to check out. And Shazan Mumphrey from New Haven, Division II program. It was funny. I had him on my list for 2018. I thought he was a 2018 prospect, but he's obviously in this draft class, so he's one that I will have to check out. More film, on. I know he's going to be at Yale's Pro Day, which is the 20th, I believe, of this month or 27th, one of those days. Um, so I'll be there at Yale's Pro Day to see him throw live. I will also be at, uh, I was at Princeton Pro Day this, this week, this past, what, two days ago, Monday or something like that. And next I have Fordham, Monmouth, uh, Yale, UConn, a couple of Pro Days I'll be going to this month uh, and probably into April as well. So, Shazam Mumphrey is a is an intriguing quarterback prospect. Again, briefly saw some highlights. We'll have to go back and do a full film evaluation. But those are the five quarterbacks that just came across my desk, quite honestly, earlier today. So once Matt Davis announced that he was entering the draft or or had have to enter the draft, that came across and then everything else started to follow. So hey, watch this, 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 and this. And so gotta get those guys watched and graded but while we're here talking about quarterbacks talk about five quarterbacks man. I just think it's I find it so amazing my my time my Twitter feed has been blowing up uh, because of a comment I made a, a quote tweet I put out there I um, mean this was based off the Sports Illustrated article um, tweeted out a split photo of Kaepernick in RG three, and it asked a question. Well, it says Kaepernick and RG three. Is there anything left? And there's a link to the article. Now, full disclosure, I did not read the article because I was so ticked off at the headline that it didn't, you know, lend itself to be read. Because I already figured, I figured, you know, hey, it's going to say what what a lot of these outlets are already trying to say. But it's just the framing of this that really bothered me, and I tweeted out. As long as the Hoyers, the McCowns, the Shabs, the Barclays, the Fitzmagics, the Gabbards, the Oswalds, the Hennies, the McGloans can still play, absolutely these two guys can play. And it just brings a, a broader discussion. Uh, and I think this is the part that people have a tough time talking about because, I say, those that want to discuss this more are fully either don't have the outlet, don't have the voice or can't voice their opinion in fear of retribution. Um, I know a lot of people privately hit, hit me up and say, man, this is so frustrating to watch this, and this is constantly being talked about. And it's just a, it, you know, follow me through this, through, through this logic. Uh, because here's how it's framed, and here's how it looks. It looks like these two quarterbacks have played football in the NFL and have constantly failed. When we're talking about failing, we're talking about throwing six pick sixes in their last two starts. We're talking about losing every game they're playing. We're talking about not being able to quote unquote uh, guide a team. You know, we're we're seeing all of those things. <clears throat> uh, that's that's what that that statement alludes to. That these guys are so terrible, and it's just almost as if they are 45 year old quarterbacks. Do they have anything left in the tank to play? Should they just not play in the NFL anymore? Which is funny because Kaepernick, I want to say, is what, 29? RG3 is what, 26? But they talk to these guys or talk about these guys like they're 45-year-old quarterbacks as if they're quarterbacks like uh, Josh McCown or Chad Henney or Matt McGloin or Ryan Fitzpatrick or Brian Hoyer. Those guys that are, let's say Sands um, McGloan, but Hoyer, McCown, Schaub, Fitzpatrick, Henny are all over 30 and all are ineffective quarterbacks, you know. But you don't hear the same phrasing about those guys as you do about an RG3, about Colin Kaepernick, about a Geno Smith. You see, where I'm going here. This is the biggest issue. This is the big elephant in the room. I don't know why there's a need for these writers, analysts, draft nicks, you know, bloggers, reporters. They, they want this mass exodus of black quarterbacks out the league. It's so funny to see. And there's the, the, the evidence is there. And people's, and if you're one of the people to say why you have to make this about race, then you're the person I'm talking to. Because you can't argue with facts. Well, maybe you can nowadays. People try to argue facts. Um, People try to tell you that the world is is flat. Uh, But you can't argue facts. And I'm about to read off some of these facts for you. It's how people... Because one, Sports Illustrated just phrased this this way. Can these guys... Uh, still player, do they have is there anything left so because let's say RG3 can't stay healthy granted he is built like Gumby he's built like a, a lowercase L you know he's Glass Joe in football I get it he can't stay healthy your best ability is your availability I totally get that but his ability to throw football is to me Far better than what you've seen from Matt Schaub, Josh McCown, Hoyer, Fitzpatrick. His problem is he can't just stay healthy. But that doesn't mean he can't come in in a two- to three-game stretch and help you out, which to me is backup. So, yes, he can still play. He is a backup now because he can't stay healthy. This was his one year to prove he could stay healthy for a full season and then perhaps earn a longer-term deal from Cleveland or find employment elsewhere. But he got hurt in week one. Um, And so you can't trust a guy or depend on a guy to be out there for 16 games if he can't stay healthy. So that's why I think RG3 is now a backup. Colin Kaepernick is still a starter. People have selective memory. You know, people say, oh, he always bring up this is a guy that went to a Super Bowl, went to another NFC championship game with an opportunity, was one batted pass away from going to another Super Bowl. And so somebody today on Twitter said, well, you know, I mean, that's old news. Why you got to bring up old So That's way in 2012. Do you realize if Colin Kaepernick had not had that Super Bowl appearance where they lost on the last second pass, had not had the second NFC Championship game appearance versus Seattle, people would say he hasn't done anything to win in this league. He hasn't brought a team to a Super Bowl. Can you imagine – If Brian Hoyer got the Browns to the playoffs, can you imagine if Brock Osweiler got the Texans last year to the Super Bowl? If Matt McGloin, who was put in the starting lineup over Terrell Pryor, think about that for a minute. If he would have got the Raiders to the Super Bowl or to the playoffs, if Blaine Gabbert would have led Jacksonville back to the playoffs like the guy who preceded him did and David Garrard, they would have statues already. They're creating statues for Tannehill for getting them to 8-8. and So, yes, I'm going to still bring up Colin Kaepernick going to the Super Bowl, going to the NFC Championship game. And to be quite honest, last year, somebody was like, oh, did you watch the tape last year? He's terrible. Dude threw 16 touchdowns and four intercepts. Coming back from an injury where he didn't practice all offseason, lost a ton of weight because of it, he had the RG3 body. And then once he started to play, started to get his football legs back underneath him, played well, kept them in ball games. Can you name the starting receiver for the San Francisco 49ers? You can't. The leading receiver you probably can't name either, and that was Jerry, Jeremy Curley. Well, they had Torrey Smith. Well, you The Eagles about to find out what Torrey Smith is. Torrey Smith is a nice dude, a cool dude, good story, does a lot of great work in the community, but he's a glorified number three. They have Torrey Smith already on the roster in Nelson Aguilar. So they're going to be frustrated with the output that Torrey Smith is not putting up, um, which is what he has been throughout the course of his career. Yes, he can catch, catch a deep ball, but can their quarterback in Carson Wentz get that ball out there? He doesn't throw deep down the field. His deep ball isn't as accurate as, let's say, a Joe Flacco, who uh, Torrey Smith had a lot of success with when he played down in Baltimore. But I digress. That's another show for another day. So you have to keep bringing up what Kaepernick has done. Because, to be quite frank, and we're going to be blunt and honest, and this is probably more for the direct snap podcast that we'll do, which you can find on iTunes and also on footballgameplan.com slash podcast. But, and this is a growing this is not only just for this this episode but this is for black people in general you know you you're going to hear the the saying we have to be two times better just to get half as much so think about this russell wilson started as a rookie led that team to the playoffs to the divisional round beat rg3 in the playoffs both rookie quarterbacks got their teams to the playoffs that year Quietly, lost in the division around the next season, Super Bowl victory. The following season, Super Bowl should have been another victory, but Pete Carroll decided, you know what, we're gonna not give the ball to beast mode, and we're gonna lose this playoff, this Super Bowl. The Seahawks have been in the in the playoffs since Russell Wilson started. People still don't think Russell Wilson is a good quarterback, despite having that resume. He has the resume, sans the obvious second Super Bowl of Eli Manning, but better. Can you imagine if Ryan Tannehill won a Super Bowl already? Hell, the NFL just—I mean, the Pro Football Hall of Fame just put Kurt Warner in the, in the Hall of Fame with one Super Bowl victory, one Super Bowl appearance. So he has—he's one and one in Super Bowls, or I'm sorry, he's one and two in Super Bowls been a three lost two one of which he threw the greatest pick six in in nfl history but he's going to the hall of fame because they're willing to overlook these six years of inactivity in the middle of his career he did absolutely nothing but stunk let that it's there was it's funny because he you know he was oh you got to put her kurt warner you got to put kurt warner in but when you look at, let's say, a quarterback like or right, if you put Kurt Warner in, then you gotta put Boomer Sason in, who I firmly believe should be a Hall of Famer. But if you to and, and a, if you take Kurt Warner's resume and you look at, let's say, Steve McNair's resume, would you say Steve McNair's a Hall of Famer? Well, he ain't go to he only went to one Super Bowl, he went to uh, I mean he I I mean when you look at that like here comes all the analytics, here comes all the the you know the the numbers and the graphs and the 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 spider web charts all that stuff like that out comes all that stuff to to say hey now this doc, this guy didn't do enough for Kurt Warner I mean he's you know I mean think about it. he you know arena guy is a great story great great this great that you gotta look past the numbers gotta look past it the Titans haven't sniffed the playoffs nor the Super Bowl since Steve McNair left, they've sniffed the playoffs with a guy that is now playing in Canada, whom people try, will try to tell you is terrible or was terrible with the Titans. And that's Vince Young with a 31 and 16 record in Tennessee. Outside of those two, Tennessee hasn't sniffed the playoffs, but they'll try to tell you Vince Young was terrible. There was an article written to uh, two days ago by the New York post saying Geno Smith should go to Canada. Get out of the league. Not not only get out the league, get out the country. Geno Smith is like 25 years old, and everybody knows that the Jets didn't have anything at receiver during his time there. When they did, he had the issue in the locker room, and he wasn't able to play with both Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. The last three games he started, or last two games he started, he's 2-0. and and two and oh. He came in for a hurt Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he lost that he lost that game against Oak came in very early so he's 2 and 1 more touchdowns and interceptions higher passer rating in the 90s i believe with better weapons that's a young quarterback that needs an opportunity but why he has to go to Canada but Mike Glennon who hadn't thrown a pass since 2014 gets 15 million dollars can you see why people are upset and the reason why you know i say black people feel this way because we've seen it constantly over time you know, you may have the glowing resume. You may have experience. Let's just say from a football perspective, you may have a, you may have the playing experience, the coaching experience, and you can't get the head coaching job. But someone who, you know, uh, doesn't have half of what you have on paper can come in and be considered a guru and bypass you not only for the coordinator job, but get the head coaching job. That's why people look at these quarterbacks the way they do and take offense to it, because that's a position of leadership. And for a long period of time, and still to this day, blacks have been questioned constantly about their ability to think, their ability to lead, their ability to succeed. And and that's why people take this quarterback position so personal. Think about that Geno Smith article. Like a, a professional writer decides to go at him as if he was like a child, he's, he's a malcontent, he's selfish, he's terrible, a bad person, killing him in this article. But if Gino Smith was to go see this dude and knock him out, Gino would be in the wrong. But this guy's credentialed, he's able to go to practices and say these vile things consistently about this dude that has done him absolutely nothing. But Geno can't be a backup quarterback? You mean to tell me Geno Smith is worse than Brock Osweiler, Blaine Gabbert, Chad Henney, Josh McCown, Brian Hoyer, Matt Schott, Matt McGloin, Matt Barkley, who threw nine interceptions in two games last season? You mean to tell me that? He's not even worthy of being a backup at 25 years old? That's nonsense. You know, the whole cap RG3 thing we just talked about. Take this draft for instance. This draft to me is so similar to 2012 in the sense that 2011 and 2012. There's first round starters and there's second round starters. I love this draft class at that position. To me, the top three quarterbacks are Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Kaiser. Since those three quarterbacks are the best, and it's not even close. Everyone in the media and some draft say, oh, this quarterback class is not that good. It's not as terrible. Then now the media says, you know, like the New York Post and uh, other media outlets, newspaper outlets, well, this draft is not that good at quarterback. Uh, why? You just got to do that beat the, the <laughs> that just slayed the dragon called Alabama and Deshaun Watson. should have slayed them last year. Tremendous leadership, accuracy, all that stuff. Everything that they look for at the position. Winner. You know? You have a dude in Kaiser that had, It's here's the thing, because you, all three quarterbacks fit the quote-unquote prototype. We want a guy that has the leadership skills, a guy that's a proven winner, that has the toughness, Deshaun Watson. We want a guy that has the physical tools to compete at the NFL level. He has the physical traits, the size, because, you know, the size is all. Was it? Deshaun Kaiser. Well, we want somebody with the wild factor that has the, the one attribute that you get up out your seat, that you put the pin down, put your feet up. Guess who has the rocket on? Mahomes. So all three guys that are at the top have what they look for, but all of a sudden this is supposed to be a bad draft class? Who are you fooling? Think about that. So out of nowhere, they're te- they're, they'll tell you that, oh, well, the best quarterback. I mean, yeah, Watson has all these has all these accolades, all this experience. You know, he's won the national championship. Should have won it last year. He has all these great things. Um, but Mr. Biscuit has the best tape. I mean, just he just had the best tape. With and, <laughs> again, twice as good, half as much. Last year, North Carolina had the same exact team with Marquise Williams. They go to the ACC championship game and nearly beat Clemson. This year, with a better team, more experience, Miss Trubisky steps in, beats Florida State in a great comeback. That was his best game, in my opinion. But they go eight and four, eight and five actually, because they, they lose the bowl game where he threw a horrible pick six. Um, but you hear nothing of, of Marquise Williams. Matter of fact, he had a preseason stint with the Packers, and got cut in favor for Joe Callahan, who was a very good player coming from a Division III program. But you talk about an ACC Divisional Championship team in North Carolina, a winner in Marquise Williams, who got better every year. Nothing. But now Mr. Trubisky is supposed to be the best. And when, I, listen, it's obvious. So they tell you this draft class stinks. And that's just the first round. Like I said before, there's guys in the second round that can play. We're going to talk about, matter of fact, uh, Gerard Evans. First year at Virginia Tech. Has Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. And nearly knocked off Clemson. But, oh yeah, he's nowhere near ready to play. This dude got there in one year, learned offense, had them in the ACC championship game. And I know I'm going to get a lot of tweets about this. Uh, you know, a lot of tweets about the, the whole. Oh well, I, I mean, they, here come the stats. Well, I mean, if you look at his throws on the right hash in the snow against uh, the 75 Steelers, he won't be able to do that consistently in the NFL. So, I don't know. But see, that's the thing. Twice as good, half as much. So they tell you this draft class stinks because it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. So they, they now they have a new phrase. It's, oh, well, next year's class is going to be great. Wait till next year when there's Sam Darnold, who I like, Josh Rosen, who was good as a freshman but was so average as a sophomore. Got Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, maybe uh, Mixerly from Penn State. I like the kid from Toledo. He, he's actually good, though, the kid from Toledo. He doesn't get sacked. I like the way he plays. Oh, you can even toss in. uh, Who else can we toss in? I mean, that th- think about it. That's it. You got Sam. Forget this year with these three outstanding quarterbacks. Forget these, this year. You got Sam Darnold. You got uh, McSurley. You got Rosen. And if so-and-so from Washington can have a bounce-back season, you got him, too. What's the kid name? Um, who threw a scary pick six in the in the playoff against Browning. Talk about Browning. But I like Browning too, though. I, I like Browning too. There are some decent quarterbacks in this in next year's draft class. But they're not better than these three at the top. I'll tell you that right now. But they'll try to tell you that they're better than these three at the top. And that's the sad part because again, twice as good, half as much. And here's the funny part about what i just said that whole little soliloquy about wait till next year and the guys you'll see you know the guys that are good and yada 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 and all that stuff like that right notice i did not mention the heisman trophy winner lamar jackson they don't mention lamar jackson when they talk about next year's class they still don't know if he can throw a football so be prepared for that can he throw can he read an NFL defense? What he, What are you going to do when he face NFL grown men? Never mind the fact that the people that he's playing against are uh, going to be in the NFL. Well, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if he, you know, if, do you really think that dude can throw an NFL ball? Like, his touchdowns, passing, and rushing, all those yards and touchdowns do not exist, man. They all fake, fake numbers. So they so that's the that's the game they're they're already planning the seed for next year by telling you that next year's class is great. And here's the guys you need to look for. Without mentioning the Heisman Trophy winner who did some magical shit this year with the football in his hands. Probably should have beaten Deshaun Watson and Clemson in Death Valley. Although playing home in a way doesn't matter, but I do like the fact that. He went there and competed well, and this guy was so much better this year as opposed to what he was in that Music City Bowl. He was legit out there just running around, just throwing the ball up. This year, he became a quarterback. He knew when to take off, when to stay in the pocket, when to take a shot, when to get outside the pocket and keep his eyes downfield. So if history is of any indication, then next year he's going to be even better this guy really loves playing the game of football. And he has improved year over year. And he's in the right system to increase what he did uh this year. So that's another thing. This guy won the Heisman friggin' trophy. And people gonna people quickly will jump in and point out the outlier. Well look at uh ha. ha, ha. Look at Johnny Manziel. We have no reports of Lamar Jackson doing that. Half the shit Johnny Manziel did at Texas A&M off the field. For all intents and purposes, this is a humble dude, clean dude, just wants to play football and do right by his family. You know, talk with him at the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and he spoke about the night he found out his dad passed away, his mom told him, and how he's been trying to, you know, focus on so much positivity because of what happened that day, which really hurt him. So he's a good dude, humble dude, grounded dude and he really wants to excel at football. You can tell it means something to him to be better, to be the best. So that's the other thing they tell you. Wait till next year. Sam Donner is the clear-cut best. Sam Donner had a really good half uh, against Penn State. You know, he played some good ball. He didn't start the season. That was a bad decision by USC. He's going to be a good quarterback. But you notice you don't hear anything about his windup. You know, they, they're going to they're gonna dissect. They did a whole segment in the bowl game to talk about why Lamar Jackson – Shouldn't be successful in the bowl game after winning the Heisman Trophy. And it was so funny because the poetic justice, when they're breaking down a segment of why he sucks, he's throwing a dime 50 yards down the field. Put that dumbass segment away. That's what you like about Lamar Jackson. But that's the media trying to, hey, don't get too high on this dude because he's not that good. Here's some non-important reasons on why he's not good. Sam Darnold could throw an out route, and they'll be like, oh, my God, can you see the poise? Oh, my God. Just the, oh, my, did you see, oh, my. The way he looked and threw that flat route, oh, my God. Oh. Just wait till next year, oh, my God. But that's just that's just one part, you know. And then you start to see, like, scouting reports. And that's the other part of this, this whole coin. For instance, here's something I found about Josh Dobbs. Here's the scoop. I knew he was really smart. I thought he, this is this is a quote from an NF, NFC personnel director on Josh Dobbs. I knew he was really smart, but I thought he really did a great job in his scouting combine interviews. He had a great feel for offensive concepts. Could walk you through everything you wanted to see on a on a whiteboard. Accuracy is his issue. It's definitely not his football intelligence. This is a Dead-on assessment. I feel the same exact way. Accuracy and placement is his issue. Football intelligence is not. And he's a super genius in in the classroom. And a lot of times, just like Alex Smith, when you get guys that are super geniuses like that, they'll tend to overthink on a football field because they want everything to be perfect. If they don't react like uh, you expect football players to react because football is a reactionary game. So I totally agree with this assessment. But the I guess the writer writes this. Dobbs looked a lot better on tape than I expected, but it still isn't of a starting level caliber. I'm not sure it's that of even a backup. What the f- What? We just watched Matt Barkley throw nine intercepts in two games. We just watched Josh McCown carve out a 27 27- in a year NFL career, I just got told today on on Twitter that Brian Hoyer may not be good, but he knows the system. Well, damn, make his ass a coach. So let me finish reading this. Dobbs is a very dangerous runner with decent traits as a passer. If you just read that sentence, you already know that Josh Dobbs is black, right, but his accuracy and consistency aren't where they need to be as a passer. However, teams are willing to take a day three flyer on a quarterback who possesses intelligence and some physical traits, Dobbs obviously has both. Totally agree. Dobbs can play quarterback in the NFL. Like I said, we just watched Brock Osweiler get paid $72 million, to only get cut and traded and kicked in the ass and shipped to Cleveland, who's going to dump his contract like he's Darko Milicic for a second-round pick. But Josh Dobbs can't play Quarterback in the NFL, he can't be a backup. I don't know why people believe. But see, twice as good, half as much. I mean, again, free agent quarterbacks that just got signed, people are talking about. Yeah, well, you know, you get you got you get you a bridge a bridge guy like this. Uh, you get you a bridge guy in Hoyer or, or Barkley or or, or, Schaub, or You know, Brown should keep Osweiler. You know, he's a good bridge quarterback until Darno. Got Mike Glennon, good bridge quarterback until you can get Darnold. Landry, Emma effing Jones. Resign, Landry Jones out here stealing money. Highway robbery, no ski mask. Chad Henning gets signed to be a backup to to Blake Borders, who's just threw another pick six while we're doing this podcast. But I said all that to say this, man. That's why you see a lot of people uh, People want to have this discussion but they can't because they're they don't have the platform. They're afraid to have this discussion, and and you know it's a discussion that has to be made because the evidence is there. People clearly see the bias, and it's not just black people. White people see the same thing. They you know Hispanics see the same thing. They'll bring up people bring up the white running back, and I've been on record talking about why Christian McCaffrey is being pigeonholed because he's a white running back when he clearly is Tiki Barber reincarnated. They're gonna try to make. They're going to – it's so It's so bad. They're going to try to make Christian McCaffrey be a New England Patriot. They're going to be upset when someone drafts him and feeds him the football 20 to 25 times a game like he's a true tailback, like the tailback that he is. Well, why they don't move him around and make him like a Danny Ammon – Danny Ammon Woodhead. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a shame. They really want to – they really hate on this. They hate on Zach Zinn. They hate it on – I remember this at the Senior Bowl all week long, I was excited, you know, because, again, I've seen a lot of FCS D2 prospects uh, during the season. So I know a lot of these guys when they go to these all-star games. Case in point, Alec Torgerson, uh, in, who, in my opinion, is better than, than Mitch Trubisky, um, knew, knew well about him before uh, getting out to the East-West Shrine game. So this was about two years ago. 2014, I think it was, three years ago. Damn, it's been three years since two? Damn. Tyler Varga. Watched him at Yale. Watched him single-handedly beat the Army uh, cadets in New Haven in overtime. First went over an FBS opponent in in four decades, I believe. Knocked off Army in overtime. He gets down, and this dude was cut up. 5'11", 220, cut up. This dude gets down to the senior bowl, and what they do? They white boy running back him. They instantly put this dude at fullback. I'm like, why would you put this dude at fullback after you just watched him rush for 1,500 yards at, at, at Yale this past season? And it had this man working as a fullback all week long. Somebody must have got smart because in the game, they put him at tailback. He ends up winning the MVP. Now, concussions has derailed his career in Indianapolis. But, again, the guy was a pure running back. McCaffrey is – you could make a – I wouldn't be upset if McCaffrey was the first tailback taken, because he can damn play. He can run inside. You don't get more NFL-style running running game than Stanford. Stanford goes out there with seven offensive tackles, a fullback, and whoever's going to start a tailback that week. Sometimes they may not even go out there with a quarterback. You're just going to add an, you replace the quarterback, add an eighth offensive tackle, and just snap the ball right to the to the running back. That's Stanford's offense. So this guy has run in a pro-style offense, has killed people on routes, and you see the the switch. It's all about code. Well, he runs routes better than some receivers. I can see him playing in the slot. Again, why do all white receivers have to play in the slot? You've seen that with Cooper Cup. But why does Christian McCaffrey have to play in the slot? Why can't he be a goddamn tailback? And that's the issue. So the same stuff you see with, with white running backs and receivers and and defensive backs, you're seeing with black quarterbacks. It's all code. People need to understand <clears throat> if you're a good football player, you're a good football player. So, but that's but but a lot of people. I think in order for the narrative and these these same tired ass takes to die off, you need more diversity in these media rooms, in these uh, on these networks. In these uh, television boots, you need diversity because diversity of thought comes with being diverse in your personnel. So, if there were if you go into some of these these editorial rooms, you don't see diversity. That's why you get Kaepernick or RG three. Is there anything left? That's why you get those headlines. Think about that, and we'll take a quick re- break and be right back. Welcome back to Scout Team, the Scout Team Podcast. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook. and I get to some of you guys' questions right here that hit me up on the Twitter nets. This, this one is coming from at Josh Manners. He asked a question, who do you think is the most underutilized player in the NFL? That's a great question. Josh, appreciate you chiming in. I would say the most underutilized player is any running back on the Saints team because he won't get utilized. That's why I saw a mock draft that had Christian McCaffrey going to New Orleans. I like, that'll be the most waste of spot ever because as long as you're a running back that has some talent, Sean Pay will not give you the football. I mean, this is a guy that had Deuce McAllister and uh, Reggie Bush on the same roster but rather gave, give the football to Pierre Thomas. So that he had C.J. Spiller, Kendall Hunter and Mark Ingram on the same roster. But let's get the ball to Travara's cadet. So I would say any running back on the Saints roster is the most underutilized player in the NFL. But all jokes aside, I would say De'Anthony Thomas. I mean, and I say De'Anthony Thomas because there's a lot of talk about Alvin Kamara and what he could bring to the table and things of that nature and how explosive he is. He's a first-round talent. But if you just talk about pure running back perspective and you look at the Black Mamba, De'Anthony Thomas at Oregon – juxtaposed to Elvin Kamara at Tennessee, there's nowhere in hell this dude can sniff his jock as far as talent is concerned. Kamara's a good player. He's going to be a good comp guy in the NFL. But DeAnthony Thomas is, rings up that cash register pretty quickly, and he is being criminally underutilized in Kansas City, partly because they made him move to wide receiver. Don't force feed good players of football. Let them be great by just turning around and handing them the football. Don't overthink this. Oh, he's only 178. Yeah, so was Warwick Dunn. He ran for over 10,000 yards in his career. So I think the most underutilized player in the NFL is DeAnthony Thomas of the Kansas City Chiefs. So thanks for that question, Josh. The next question comes from at where's the Ceph or Seth, because I think his name is Cephas. Who do you think is the most misunderstood player in the NFL draft, whether it be based on Positional projection or skill set? You know what? That's a great question as well. Cephas, I'll give you one player per position. Starting with quarterback, Gerard Evans. I talked about him before. People are underselling his ability to come in one year, learn that offense, direct that offense, and lead those guys to an ACC, I want to say what, Coastal Divisional? championship and got them into the ACC championship game all the while playing with an injury he suffered in the middle part of the season. So, I think he is this year's Dak Prescott quite honestly. So, I think he's been probably misevaluated by a lot of people and they have real low grades on him, but he is a really good player. Running back Joe Mixon. I've seen a lot of first round, you know, people talk, "Oh, yeah, Joe, top 10 back if it wasn't for the issues." A top 10 prospect like I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, yeah, he had a nice little reception against Texas Tech. A Couple big plays here and there. But if you're talking about pure running back perspective, this is a guy that goes down way too easily. This is a guy that's vision is okay. Now he has that patience like Le'Veon Bell, you like that. You like that he has a good frame. He's six one, he's a legit 6'1, two twenty five definitely can catch the football, but when I made my comparison to Ty Montgomery, I, I I made that comparison because to me, Joe Mixon looks like a receiver playing running back. Just like Ty Montgomery looks like a receiver playing running back. There's some tentativeness uh as far as him getting the football and asking him to go from tackle to tackle. He'd rather go outside, you know, he'd rather, you know, bounce it and kick it and get outside and utilize that speed. Rather be used, utilized more in a passing game, I believe. I don't think he's that great of a running back prospect. I think he's a good running back prospect. I think how they utilized him at Oklahoma was perfect. So if I'm projecting to the NFL, I think he's a good guy to share carries with because I think you can get frustrated with him if he's your full-time back. So I think he's being miscast as this this top five can't miss running back prospect if it wasn't for the off the field issue, uh, you know. So I think that's one. At receiver, John Ross. It's funny because people didn't like John Ross uh, as much prior to the combine. He runs a four two, Now all of a sudden you see him going top five in mock drafts. But but the the misunderstanding and uh, the projection part of it is people are saying he's a slot receiver. That's so far from the truth. John Ross is a guy that's an outside receiver. He's an X all day. His route running is outstanding. You want that speed and that route running on the outside. You put him on the inside. I think people don't understand what it takes to be a really good slot receiver. To be a good slot receiver, you got to have savvy. You have to really read the field very well and be able to read coverage on the fly. John Ross is a hit-you-with A a quick one-two, hit you with a quick two-piece, and he's off to the races. I can't see him running option routes or settling down in the zone and things like that, going across the middle of the field. Nah, that's not his game. He's more like Brandon Cooks. You know, leave him on the outside, let him work. So I think he's being miscast as a slot receiver when his game is tailor-made. People are projecting him to be inside when his game is tailor-made, in my opinion, to be on the outside. At tight end, David Joku out of Miami. I think people are looking at him, saying that he is the. They're thinking that he is Jeremy Shockey, or Antonio Gates, or some freak tight end like that. Uh, to me, he is. He isn't that type of a player. You know, I think he's. He has great vertical leap. You know, but how does he block? He's okay blocker there. Um, he's a flex tight end, so he's like a bigger wide receiver. His route running needs a lot of work. So, and he only flashes maybe periodically during the game. When you have these dynamic tight ends, like an Antonio Gates, uh, let's say Antonio Gates from a pro level, but let's just go back to college. Uh, when you look at Tony Gonzalez, when you looked at Jeremy Shockey, those, hell, when you look at a guy in this same draft class, when you look at O.J. Howard, they flash constantly. You know where they are. Joku is okay, but I think he's being projected as this generate that that go that word again generational tight end prospect when he's not on the offensive line. I think people are misunderstanding how good and how flexible Storm Norton is out of Toledo. You talk about a six eight tackle with great feet, great knee bend, can run block, can pass pro. I think he's one of those underrated guys. That people are not taking serious notice. that they, as much as people love Kareem Hunt, they're not talking enough about Storm Norton, and that's that's a that's a doing him a disservice. Uh, defensive line Tano Passio, uh of Villanova. I think a lot of people just think he is, you know, just this big guy that just you know stronger than everybody else at the FCS level, but that's not the case. He's playing out of position at, at Villanova because he because out of necessity, they don't have the luxury of having three Tano passing on their defensive line where they can get creative. I think he's an outside defensive end situation that can kick down inside at, uh, on uh, third downs. But I think this is a guy that, you know, once he gets to, he's going to be like the Malik Collins this year. Raw technically, when you get him into a program with a great defensive line coach that cleans up his technique, puts him in the right spot, he's going to have a phenomenal rookie campaign because guys, That big don't grow on trees. And he has good athleticism and also has the productivity. You know, I was at four games over the last three seasons for Villanova. So I've seen him progressively get better. Uh, That's why it's important to go to games, guys, because you can't just rely off draft breakdown. Shout out to draft breakdown. They do a great job with the podcast, man. Um, Seth Cox and also uh, Justin Higdon do a great job, man. One of the best podcasts out there. Uh, so, shout out to Draft Breakdown, and their whole squad. They do a good job in putting clips up. If you haven't seen somebody, you need to go find somebody quickly, and you can't get to all 22, or you can't get to a game, and you need to find a, a prospect, hit up draftbreakdown.com. They're awesome. Also, shout out to Setting the Edge podcast as well, too, man. It, you know, Justice and, and Chuck do, do some great things. They're hilarious. Great guests that they have. I was on the show before, so, but shout out to those two guys and also to their podcast. But Tano Passio can play. He's being misutilized. Uh, he's being misunderstood in this whole draft process. At linebacker, Jimmy Gilbert. I think partly because people look at him being, you know, 215, 220. Oh, man, you can't play. I don't know if he could play linebacker. Listen, tackling has nothing to do with size. Tackling has all to do with heart and want to. And you can't find someone that has more heart and want. Maybe Reuben Foster. But when you look at a guy like Jimmy Gilbert, I don't care if he's a buck 80 playing linebacker. He gets in there and he starts to, he he wants to make the tackle. You gotta want to make a tackle. Tackling about like size, tackling about, I want to knock your block off. And Gilbert has that it factor that heart. And so people will look at him and, and downgrade him because of his size, but that's doing him a disservice as well. Uh, in the defensive backfield, Sidney Jones, I think before, even before the injury, um, Sidney Jones, I think, was getting typecast as Marcus Peters when they played nothing alike. Uh, Jones has to get stronger. He has to be able to get stronger because too often you'll see receivers able to outmuscle him within the routes, and that can't happen. Uh, as he moves forward in the NFL. So, great question, Cephas. Appreciate you chiming in. Uh, So, there's there's some questions. You know, the name of this podcast is Scout Team, and the topic was talking about building a team. And it was funny because, you know, I I say that as I transition. Um, Building a team is easy, man. I I look back, and when I first started to – obviously, we have all the videos that I've done on YouTube since 2009, since we started doing video but I started write, writing down notes in 2014 because what I do, what I used to do was I'll write down a script for the prospects and I didn't save notes in 2012 you know, or 13. I just write what I wanted to say, say it on camera, and uh, record videos. But in 2014, that draft class, I started writing down notes and saving them so I can go back and, and Reference stuff, and I'm glad that, that I did that. I've done that because now I can look at it and say, Oh, wow, well, I had this guy graded here, and this is what I thought about him. Um, so it's fun to look back at that, but it's also fun to look at because we're, we're gonna have these coming down the pike as well our NFL team by team mock drafts, uh, inside the war room mock drafts, we call it. But I'm looking back at the 2015 draft, right? and. This is what I'm talking. People think it's, all oh, so hard to build. You can easily build a very good football team during, uh, you know, through the NFL draft. It doesn't take long. Trust me. So, for instance, here's I, – I pulled some of these things. I thought I did a good job with these. Um, this mock draft. Uh, I pulled a couple of teams that I thought were, were real good. Now, tell me – and this, is, this was obviously based off my big board – and how the mock draft fell. But looking at the New York Giants 2015 mock draft. Uh, I'm going round one through seven. Right, I had the Giants grabbing Landon Collins. Cedric Abuhi. Quan Alexander. Clayton Gathers, the strong safety. Defensive tackle Derek Lott. Zadarius Smith defensive end. Tight end Gerald Christian. And outside linebacker Tank Jakes. From Memphis. I like Jakes. Uh, so they would have come away with Landon Collins, Alexander, Zadarius Smith. It's a pretty good haul for the Giants, right? Looking at the Redskins, Shaq Thompson, Allie Marpet, Curtis Drummond. Brian Thompson was a Division II player out of uh, East Stroudsburg that blocked 16 kicks in his career. Mike Davis I had them getting, EJ Bibbs as well, and Sean Hickey. So that would have been a pretty good Redskins haul, right? Jets. Vic Beasley, Amir Abdullah, Dorial Green Beckham, Ryan Dallaire, Jeff Luck, and Dan Light tighten out of Fordham. So, they would have had Vic Beasley, Amir Abdullah, Dorial Green Beckham, Ryan Dallaire. Pretty good haul, right? That's just in the draft. The Eagles, um, you know, obviously these teams are local. Lakin Tomlinson, Trey Waynes, Lorenzo Waters was a solid safety at Rutgers. I liked them a lot. Nelson Aguilar, how convenient. Jeff Kovitz was a sack master at Bryant. Ronald Darby, Marcus Golden, and Daryl Williams, the offensive tackle. Pretty good haul along the offensive line, right? Daryl Williams, Tomlinson. Also in the secondary, they would have had Trey Waynes and Ronald Darby. They got their favorite receiver, Nelson Aguilar. Saints. Brandon Sheriff, Shane Ray, Ty Montgomery, Quentin Rollins, Devin Funches, Mario Edwards, Isaiah Corbett, Kevin Rogers was a quarterback at Henderson State, and Ned Darius, who was a solid tackle, solid guard at Lehigh. But this Saints team would have came away with Sheriff, or Sheriff, I'm sorry, Ray, Ty Montgomery, Quentin Rollins, Devin Funches, and Mario Edwards. Tell me that wouldn't have been a good team. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's look, look at this Colts one. Abraham Campbell, Ifo Ekpre Olamu, obviously, before the injury. Adrian Amos, Preston Smith, Zach Zinner, Jeremiah Putasi, Tyler Lockett, Quandre Diggs, and Clayton Truett an offensive lineman out of Charleston Southern. It's a huge get for the Colts, right? Browns, who had two first-round picks that year. Leonard Williams, Lyle Collins, Justin Hardy, Devin Smith, Max Williams, Eddie Goldman, Jay Ajayi, Daniel Fitzpatrick, Adam Shedd, Sage Harold, the outside linebacker from uh, James Madison. Seahawks with no first-round pick. B.J. Finney, Tyler Davidson, John Miller, offensive lineman, Stephon Diggs, Ty Smith, who they ended up drafting, Blake Sims at quarterback, Dean Marlowe, who was with the Panthers, Jordan Hicks, the linebacker. Teo Fabalugi from TCU, Mark Lewinsky, who they ended up drafting, and Martin Fetty, defensive lineman. That would have been good for Seattle. Atlanta, Nate Orchard, Jamil Douglas, Trey McBride, Clive Walford, Justin Hamilton, Raging Cajuns, Justin Coleman, David Johnson, and quarterback Tyler Murray from Boston College, who ended up moving the receiver. Why? Because he has receiver skin tone. And for Pittsburgh, uh, this was a good one. Marcus Peters, Ladarius Gunther, Ben Koyak, Halui Kikaha, Rashad uh, Breeland, Rocco Ammons, an offensive lineman, Mark Myers or Myers, I'm sorry, quarterback from John Carroll. Go on my on my uh, football game plan website. Type in Mark Myers and watch his scouting profile, and you're going to like the video I did of him, and Dylan Data offensive lineman from Mississippi State. But you see how good, quickly you can get good players in the draft? And this was just me mock-drafting, guys. You can find good players in the draft. You can rebuild your team. And I say that because I look back at 2014, which seems, that was 2015, obviously. But looking back at 2014, and I'm looking at my third-round grade prospects, right? And so I'll put out a big board as well. But I'm looking at some of these guys that I had rated as third-round prospects that that were, you know, pretty good NFL players. Um, I probably was a – well, I know I was a little low on Devonta Freeman, who was outstanding. He was a third-round prospect. Uh, Jeremy Hill I had in the third round. Blake Bortles, third round. Who else we had? Ed Reynolds, who's right now the starting safety for the Cleveland Browns, third round. That's pretty interesting to look at these lists. Man. And this goes to show you Jimmy Garoppolo third-round prospect, uh, Ryan Grant, C.J. Fedorowicz, Jamie Meter out of Ashland, It's a good one, Paul Richardson from Colorado, Brian Dixon, Northwest Missouri State, him and his brother, twins, uh, starting in the NFL. They started one game, actually, for the Saints. Um, Brandon Dixon was the other one, so... Demarcus Lawrence, third round prospects, Stefan Tuit, Deion Bailey, loves him, man. Come out of USC, I was a big fan of his game. Dexter McDougal, injury concerns or injury uh, suffered with the Jets, and stuff like that. But it's fun to see these guys, man. And so people think that you can't build a team. There's talent everywhere, man. So don't buy the excuse from from people telling you like it's hard to build a team nah man it's it's really easy especially and I'm one guy scouting these players right Victor Hampton was a good one I like Victor Hampton to keep McGill James Wilder Jr. just signed Toronto Argonauts but it's not that hard to build a team guys if you if you're again like I said I was one guy doing this imagine if I was a GM with a team of scouts that I trusted and vetted to go out there and find the best talent uh, in the country so do not believe anybody telling you that there's a weak draft class. It's not true. Don't, tell anyone, don't let anyone tell you that this crop of players aren't good. No, you just got to dig a little deeper. You're going to find some guys, man. Man, let me, you know, because you always got to provide balance. Look, look at this first round. My number one overall prospect that year, Teddy Bridgewater. Number two, Gabe Jackson. Now, talk about patting yourself on the back. But then right at number three was Greg Robinson, and number four was Justin Gilbert, and number five, Sammy Watkins. So that was my top five. First-round prospects I had, uh, let's see, James Hurst, who started some games this year for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Odell Beckham Jr. was a first-round prospect. He was my 12th overall prospect in his in draft class. I had Lewis Nix as a first-round prospect. Tyler Lawson, who started games this year for the uh, Carolina Panthers and played well in, in reserve. Jarvis Landry, first-round pick. Uh, Marquise Lee, I had a first-round grade on. Big fan of Carlos Fields. Listen, when you talk about somebody wanting to tackle, Carlos Fields did not care if it was your mother, your 87-year-old grandmother that just heard, heard – heard, her grandson speak for the first time. Carlos Fields will lay her out. Love linebackers that play that way. But like I said, there's guys out here, man, that that, you know, there you gotta understand and trust what you see. You know, don't believe the hype with this athleticism and all that stuff like that. athleticism is important, but at the end of the day, you're playing football and you gotta find a good football players. You do that. Your team is going to be good. Your scouting is going to be good. And you can clearly point out the guys that, that are doing a good job at this, man. And a lot of you guys that really want to do this, only piece of advice I give you is just to go ahead, do your own work, trust what you see, stop listening to everybody, don't even listen to me, focus in on what you're watching, and take notes and watch a lot of football, guys, and you'll be just fine. So that's it for this edition of Scout Team Podcast. Uh, What's going to be coming down the pike tomorrow? We're going to have our offensive guard prospects Uh, in this draft class release. That video is going to be released. The offensive tackles will be released, and then we're going to move right on to defense. Starting with the defensive ends, then on to defense tackles. Until we get all of our prospect rankings out, you guys will get to see that. Great feedback, great support you guys have been giving me. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Football Game Plan Podcast. Also on our website, footballgameplan.com slash podcast, and youtube.com slash footballgameplan. I am out. Talk to you guys later.